0: Good morning, I'll be reading from Luke. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an account for you, my most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught.
1: Thanks, Aaron. Well, good morning. Today, if we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I'm glad you're here. Today's a little bit more unique. As uh, Matthew already said, we're doing an intergenerational service, but we also have Bible presentations today. So I'd like to invite the parents of children in grades two through five up, and I think just, just the... Yes. Yes. You guys know. I'm not really in charge. So, as uh, parents and children in grades 2 through 5 who have not received Bibles come up, um, this is a reminder to us, all of us, that we're a community of people being restored by Jesus to bring hope to the world. And one of the things that I've learned is that as an adult, like, I need to be restored by Jesus because if I'm not, then as a broken adult... I tend to um, do things that make my children also be broken adults. So we instead want to cultivate a love for God the Father, a love for God the Son, and a love for God the Spirit in our youngest ones, that they might grow up with a fullness in who Jesus is and receive him and trust him as their Savior and their Lord. What? Did you, call, did you call them up? Uh, no, you may. Made... I'm calling them up. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fine. Remember... It's all going really well this morning, <laughs> families. <laughs> do you guys want to line up with your children right across the front here?
1: Yeah, come on down.
0: Come on down. Okay. Now, so you'll
1: notice that I think I'm still going, but then you're going. I go. thought that was my That's part. That's right. Okay. No, you. <laughs> Like I said, we're, we're on top of things. Uh, now, you'll notice that uh, the parents are holding the Bibles. Yep, you'll notice the parents are holding the Bibles because, um, kids, you're at a point where you are moving from learning to read, now reading to learn, and we're so excited that your parents are going to give you these because, um, well, Christine is going to talk about that, but... Uh, The reason we do that is because like the adults are reading in Immerse, getting into God's story, you too are going to be reading your Bibles about knowing God and his story, about finding yourself in the story, and then being able to share that story.
0: My turn. Um, First, I have a little bit of a quiz for the kids, and I'm just totally springing springing this on them. So. We'll see how it goes um, so each week uh, in um, our children's ministry stuff we watch a video and it tells us a little bit it's the same actually they just changed it this month but before this month it was the same thing every week and the kids have it pretty well memorized and they can say it along with the video so I just want to, I'm hoping they will impress you with their knowledge or we'll know what to talk about next week so um, guys how what do you guys know about the Bible based on that is it just one book? Anyone? Oh, I know you guys know this part. How many books is that? JJ? It's more than one. (laughs) You're right. That is true. Correct. Erin, what do you know? It's 66 books. Very good. What else? Do you guys remember anything else? course.
1: Make one whole story.
0: That's right. It tells one big story. Very good. All right. Anything else, guys? That kind of sums it up, I think, pretty well. Good job, guys. Um, Oh, you have more? All right.
2: It's all true.
0: And it's all true. Very good. I love it. Yes. I think that deserves a round of applause. All right. So, um... We're giving Bibles to second graders because we think, and, and up, second grade and up, because we think now is a really good time to start um, kind of a habit of reading our Bibles, that the Bibles aren't just to um, open up on Sunday mornings, but they're for every day. And uh, what a great way to get them started now. We have um, very kid-friendly Bibles that are very fun to read, so we think it's a great time to start doing that. And now it's Rob's turn.
1: Well, and like I said, or and Christine kind of alluded to, we gave them to your parents because we think that as parents, you are the primary influencers of your children's faith. And we want them to be able to say, when they stand up um, at some point later in their life and say, I've trusted Christ, I want to follow him for the rest of my life, and my parents have been my spiritual champions. And kids, this is God's word. It's not just a book. It is God's voice in our lives that's inviting us to get closer to Him. We don't just want you to learn about God, we want you to know Him personally. And so, parents, at this time, you can hand those Bibles to each of your children or to the children that you brought up. Yeah, it's a good thing. It is an awesome, awesome book and a great story. Can I pray for us before we sit down? Father God, you are the maker and creator. Uh, God, you figured out a way to inspire people to write down your word. And we know that your word is alive, it still speaks to us, that you still work in this world, even though the Bible was written long ago. And we pray that we would respond with love from our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength. And God, we pray for each of these children. God, we pray that your spirit would already be at work in them, that they would be working on praying to you and listening for you. And would you help them, God, to learn and love your word, to help them know that that this is part of their relationship with you. And Father, we pray for each of these parents that you would be in their hearts and in their minds, that you would help them to model their relationship with you of listening and praising and thanking and crying out to you, God, that this would be a natural and regular part of everyday conversations. God, we pray that these parents and and our church, God, would help us to create rituals and rhythms to see and celebrate you, not just now, but at every season of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are each dismissed.
2: Yeah, way to go. The Gospel According to Luke, it's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and it's actually part one of a unified two-volume work, Luke Acts. If you compare the opening lines of both of these books, it's clear that they come from the same author. And there are internal clues in the book of Acts, as well as an early tradition that identifies the author as Luke, the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul the Apostle, who we know was also a doctor. Luke opens his work with a preface telling us how and why he wrote this book. He acknowledges that there's many other fine accounts of Jesus' life out there, but he wanted to go back to the eyewitness traditions of as many early disciples as he could in order to produce what he calls an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now, that word fulfilled shows us why Luke wrote this account. For him, the story of Jesus isn't just ancient history. He wants to show how it's the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel, and bigger than that, of the story of God in the whole world. The book's design is fairly clear. There's a long introduction that sets up the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. Then, in chapters 3 to 9, Luke presents a robust portrait of Jesus and his mission in his home region of Galilee. After that, the large midsection of the book is Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem, which leads to the story's climax, Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection, which then leads on into the book of Acts.
1: So as we jump into our immersed story, you'll see that Luke is the first book, and you just saw a little introduction for that. So I want to start us with an all-play question. An all-play question is just that. Anyone can play, any age. It's, it, requires, it does require a little bit of thought, um, but your answers probably are going to be better than mine. So I want you to think about this. When something important happens in your life, how do you record it? How do you record something important when it happens in your life? Pictures. Taking pictures, sure. Phone. And how did you want to use the phone? Did you want to leave a voice memo? Oh, camera. Okay. Anything else? Facebook. Facebook, right? (laughs) I must admit, like at the beginning of September, I get a lot of Facebook memories from all those first days of school over the years, Oh, you, did you have one? YouTube. Right. You're totally right. That's not why YouTube was invented. I could totally go on a rabbit trail right there, but I won't. Journal. Journal. Nice. Writing stuff down. Excellent. Anything else? Bunnies? Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, I could... You know what? When you think about mnemonic device here, like, oh, there's something I need to remember. I just pulled the bunny rabbit out of the hat, and what's in the hat? The thing I need to remember. That's a really, that's brilliant. All right, you got one, Aaron? Garfield. Drawing, Garfield. Drawing Garfield. Well, you know, I think we've listed out let lots of stuff. I, I'm not sure what to do with that fat cat, but, I mean, I was pretty impressed with myself for the bunny in the hat, so record it take a picture of it, put it on YouTube, uh, write about it. I think those are all legitimate things. Now, new question. Every, again, everybody can participate. Think about someone, not something, but someone that's important in your life. You don't have to say them. I just want you to figure out who that person is. And think about just a couple reasons of what makes them Great. Now imagine, do you have one? Okay, now imagine that there's someone else in your life who you really care about, and they don't know that amazing, great person in your life. And you're never going to have a chance to tell them in person. So how could you make sure that they know that person you care about knows the super important person? Do the same answer still work? Could you create a YouTube about how great the person is? Right? Or could you take pictures of this great person? Or could you write a journal of this great person? Maybe you could even pull the great person's memory out of a hat. I think you could. Well, that's essentially what I think this writer Luke does. In fact, um, here's a picture of uh, a way to remember what the book of Luke is about. Luke ing, Luke is looking, looking at at Jesus, this perfect ten of a human being. Huh? Huh? Right? Yeah. There's amazing things you can find on the internet. But again, like the, even like the video said, uh, Luke tells us he's, he's orderly, he tells us why he's writing, and he tells us how he's going to do it. As Aaron read, that he carefully investigated, he checked out the eyewitnesses, and now he's writing an accurate or an orderly account so that, so that this patron, Theophilus, I think is, is the person so they can be sure or certain of the truth they have been taught. Luke also writes another book. It's not just Luke. He writes Acts, and at the beginning of Acts, he says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Luke is about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. That's, again, what the story is. And so I think what Luke does is he paints a picture with words about who Jesus is, and he includes these specific stories of what Jesus did and the types of people that respond to Jesus so that anybody who reads his book could be prepared, could recognize and receive Jesus as the perfect Savior, okay? Who he is and what he did. Now, just think about how he paints this picture from who he is. If you started reading Immerse, then you jumped in and you saw this story that right after Luke gives this introduction, he talks about what the setting was, that there was this this priest and it was Jesus' relative and how this chosen son came, but that wasn't the Messiah, it was this forerunner, John the Baptist, and then there's this angel that appears on the scene, and the angel actually announces how, not just that Jesus will be born, but actually how he'll be born. This immaculate conception is the fancy word for it. And so right away in the story, he gives this, he gives this description of how unique Jesus is. Then he goes into this story of a choir or an army that can't even be counted But this army says, today in the city of David, a savior will be born. He is Christ the Lord, Luke 2. And then this huge, uncountable army stands up in the heavens and starts singing a song, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, upon whom his favor rests. There's There's this huge huge introduction to who Jesus is, how he comes into the world, and then Jesus is born. His parents bring this young child into God's house, into this temple, and there's two people that recognize right away who Jesus is. They're very old, and they're, they're close to God. They're called prophets, but first is Anna, Luke describes this woman, Anna, who spends all her time praying and worshiping God in the temple, and then Simeon, this older, again, prophet, this person who's close to God that also recognizes Jesus. These are the first two to recognize Jesus. And then finally, in this introduction, what Luke does is he gives us this family tree of where Jesus comes from. I'm sure you can read it, right? You know, Jesus whose father was said to be Joseph. And then it goes right up through the line. And we're not going to hit everyone because it would take too long, first of all. But um, also because you can see that it goes through the royal line, the king line of David. That was really important for the, the savior of these people to be from David. And it goes right up through the chosen person of Abraham. And when Matthew writes the story, he just stops at Abraham. Because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people and of the Muslim people and of the Christian people. But he stops there because that was who he was writing to. But Luke isn't just writing to the Jewish people. Luke wants to write to all people. So he goes from Abraham all the way back up to Adam, the first human. Because Luke wants to show us Jesus isn't just the promised Savior for the Jewish people but the Savior for all people. That's how he starts his story. And then he gives specific stories of the kinds of people that recognize and respond to Jesus. And these are not the people that we would expect to recognize Jesus. First, the three clumps of stories that he includes are stories of Jesus' teaching, stories of Jesus' healing, And then stories of Jesus praying. And because we're going to read in Immerse, we're going to read the whole New Testament. We have three other books, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, who are going to talk about Jesus. And those books are going to give examples of Jesus teaching and Jesus healing as well. So we are going to focus on Jesus praying for the remainder of our teaching time together. And again, we want to know God's story, we want to see ourselves in God's story, and then we want to be able to share God's story. So today, I want us to see ourselves in God's story. So as we go through these you know, four different times that Jesus prays, imagine yourself in the story. Which type of person would you be? How would you see or recognize who Jesus is in it? And the reason we're going to focus on prayer is that prayer is referenced in the book of Luke more than any other book of the Bible except for Psalms. Psalms is a book of worship, a book of songs, and a book of prayers, and it's 150 chapters. Luke's 24 chapters. So I think it's a, it's a pretty big deal that prayer is referenced that much in the book of Luke. There are three specific stories or parables that Jesus tells that are only found in Luke, and those are about prayer. And then there's eight different distinct times that Jesus goes into times of prayer. And again, Luke includes all of those. Now, I don't just see those as fun Bible trivia. I see those as part, Luke's a really smart writer. The Holy Spirit has inspired him to write this. There is a reason and an agenda for why he includes this much about prayer. So let's just look at a few of them. The first one that I found was in Luke 5.16. I know in your Immerse Bible, there's not going to be reference numbers to the exact point. It's going going to give little references at the top. But it's on page 15, if you're looking. I'm going to try to find it. It says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. That's one of the ways that Jesus prays. Jesus Withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So a question, if you want to find yourself in the story, the question you can write down, question you can think about right now, is where do you go to pray? Where do you pray? See, over and over in the Bible, the wilderness is this place where God speaks. The wilderness is often an isolated place. And it, what it came to mind for me was when Uh, Five years ago, I got to spend 10 days on the Superior Hiking Trail or just about 10 days on the Superior Hiking Trail when Restoration gave me this gift of six weeks of sabbatical renewal. And five and a half of those almost 10 days on the trail were solo. And every day as I packed up my food and my shelter and my clothing and I put one foot in front of the other, the daily demands of life... And the nonstop social media feeds and the constant connection to text, cell phone, and email just faded into the distant past. And it was this really beautiful thing because I started seeing and hearing things that I normally miss in my everyday life, like the crunching of leaves under my feet there was there were birds that were singing in the trees that probably do that all the time but i heard it and then i started even hearing like obviously the roaring rivers i could hear but i started hearing the trickles of streams that would become those rivers and in the same way just as i was tuned into sounds in nature i started to be tuned into the sounds of god's whispers I started to hear his voice. But it took me going and spending time in a wilderness. Where do you pray? After I practiced that, I discovered that actually anytime I go on a walk and I don't pull up my phone and there's not too many distractions around, traffic or whatever is a place that then I can hear God. So that's one of the ways I pray and one of the places that I pray. I encourage you to ask, where do you pray? So that's the first one. The second one is that Jesus goes and prays before really big decisions. You see it in Luke 6, verses 12 and 13. One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night and at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose twelve to be his apostles. So, one thing that I forgot is that Jesus had hundreds, maybe even maybe even thousands of followers. There were these big crowds and fans that were were walking with him. Um, There were these others that were calling themselves the disciples. They were listening to him. They were talking with him. They were eating with him. And and so some people actually think that Luke or that Jesus waited a year and a half into his public ministry before he chose the 12 that would be the closest, the official disciples that are called apostles. So a year and a half. Like, if you're in school, it's like a year and a half of tests to, like, find out if you're the teacher's favorite. But I think it just goes to show it's an incredibly important decision. And Luke stays up, or Jesus stays up all night to pray about that. There's times that he prays at night. There's times that he prays in the morning. question that I think we have to ask ourselves is, when do you pray? When do you pray? Are you someone who prays at night? Maybe you know this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. and pray, dear Lord, my soul to keep. Anybody know this one? Guard and guide me through the night and wake me with your morning light. We, we might still pray this one. Maybe you're not a night person. Maybe you're a morning person. So, um, so I've got a prayer up here that I want you to read with me. Um, you don't have to pray it with me if you want to, but you can read it with me. Ready? Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish. And I'm really thankful about that. You might know what's coming, but in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Some of you are laughing because you know it's true. So maybe you're praying at, maybe you pray at night, maybe you pray at the morning. Or maybe it's less about when you pray, and more about what the circumstances are. When it's something important, like, you know, this young man. As long as there are tests, there will be prayer in public school. (laughs) But a couple comic relief things to help you think about when you pray. The other thing I think we see in this story of Luke is, is what we pray about is really what is most important. For example, Jesus tells a story of um, how the disciples should pray and never give up, and it's about this widow who has no, no resources, no one to help, and she constantly and incessantly goes to this judge. And then he shares another story in Luke 18, where some people had a ton of confidence in their own faith, but they scorned or looked down on everyone else. And Jesus told this story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. Luke 18, verse 9. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and one was a hated tax collector. Probably didn't take money that he was supposed to take, probably took even more. And the Pharisee, the religious leader, stood by himself and said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, the cheaters and the sinners and the adulterers. I certainly am not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. I do the right religious things. But, Jesus says, the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed And he beat his chest and said, Oh God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, not the religious person, returned home justified or just right with God. For all those who lift themselves up will be humbled, but all those who humble themselves will be exalted or will be lifted up. What do you pray? Like in this story, are you someone who prays so that God will notice you? Or do you pray so that you will notice God? What do you pray for? And lastly, we see that Jesus models prayer not just to his disciples, but to others, and he teaches them to pray. So prayer is something that we can actually learn. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm just not good at praying. Or the first time you were asked to pray in public, or when my mother-in-law lovingly says, well, you're the pastor, can you pray for dinner? (laughs) I'm a human, you can pray for dinner too. (laughs) Which usually doesn't go over well, but that's another story for another day. And Jesus, we see this story in Luke 11. You might even have heard this before, but it says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. It's kind of like Luke had hundreds of stories that he could pick from based on all these eyewitness eyewitness accounts of Jesus praying. And he just happened to pull out a few that were like, oh, these are going to be the ones that I share. So one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... The disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples. Just like all these other teachers teach their disciples, will you teach us to pray? And some of the religious leaders had long, fancy prayers. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Lord, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come on earth soon. Lord, give us Today, the the food we need, And, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then don't let us yield to temptation. Now, other writers add to that, but think about the simplicity and yet the complexity of that prayer, the profoundness of praying for what we need, asking for that forgiveness, which we know isn't just between us and God. We know it's between us and others when that happens. And then just like God forgives us, that we would extend that to each other. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. And I think it almost begs us to ask, how do we pray? So where do you pray? When do you pray? What do you pray? And how do you pray? When I was growing up there were lots of different ways that we had prayers done in church and in our family we had a Sunday night dinner prayer and then we had a bedtime prayer. And those were those were fine, but they were the same thing all the time and so there's this tension I feel between the routine of learning, but then that you, you know it so well that you stop learning and maybe even stop listening to those words. And so what, what I did um, as my kids got older is I actually created um, a really nerdy like acronym off the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so um, Monday, we praise God for being our maker and for making the world and making us, and then I usually include some crazy thing from creation that I, that I just think is really impressive, like the duck-billed platypus. Um, we usually include uh, maybe Ephesians 2.10, that God created us as his masterpieces for every kind of good work. We might pray Psalm 139, that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Um, and then there's some variation of that every Monday. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them because the point isn't for you to learn my prayer. I will post them um, on social media if you want to look at them. And If you're like, I don't get on social media, I'll put them in our news and notes so you can just have an example of them. But again, the point isn't for you to learn what I do. The point is for you and me to reflect on God's story and how much we know it. And can we find ourselves in the story? And can we live and share that story? So just as we go into a time of communion, ask the Holy Spirit right now, God, do I know your story? And do I know you? Am I still trying to figure out who you are, Jesus? Luke wrote this so that we could have certainty that we'd have to be able to trust you with faith, but to know that you, Jesus, are the Savior for all people. God, help us to investigate. Spur in each of us that are still trying to figure that out, a desire to seek you. God, help us to find ourselves in your story. God, show us if we are someone that's observing in the distant distance, way far away or if we are close but skeptical. Maybe we're just good at practicing that religion but not faithfully following. God, Holy Spirit, show us if we're a fan of you, if we're someone that's in the crowd, that's consistently amazed by your teaching but not close to you. We haven't put our trust in you. We haven't said Jesus, you are Lord, so I can't say no to you. I will follow you wherever you lead me. Show us that, Lord, if we are a fan. And God, show us if we are following. If we're someone who teaches what you taught, Jesus, if we're someone who brings healing to others like you brought, and someone who prays like you pray. God, I know that as I thought about that, there's this thing in me that says, oh, I need to try harder. I just need to be a better follower. God, and I just pray for anyone out there that thinks that this is about trying harder to please you or trying harder to follow you. I pray that instead we would confess our need for you You are the Savior. We can't do it on our own. We were never created to live this perfect life. We were created to live in perfect dependence on you. So Jesus, would you be our Lord and our Savior? Would you help us to surrender everything to you? And like a good, good father, we know that you will give us back the things that we need. Holy Spirit, live in us and through us so that this is not about trying harder but about enjoying time with you, that prayer is just that. It is talking to you. Speak to us, Lord, as we come to this table to eat and meet with you. Amen.